Greetings, friends! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined again by my orange goatee, fake sling-wearing, girlfriend-stealing, but conscientious family man and professor co-host, Alex Dandino. That might be the most titles you've ever had before an intro. I'm sure there's one that's been way, way, way more perhaps. Perhaps. I feel like Lord of All Illusions right. was a lot. Oh yeah. The illusions. Yeah, they come with a lot of a lot of baggage, a lot of fancy titles. All right, guys, if you like the show and we hope you do, please take a second, uh, leave us a rating and review wherever you find the show, especially on Apple Podcasts. That helps us out enormously. Truly. Does. Uh, we've seen some of you doing that and it means the world to us. Thank you. You can find us on all your social medias, wherever you're at. We're there, too. And we would love to hear from you. Some of us have started sending uh, some cool ideas for movies you'd like to hear us talk about. Really We cool. appreciate that. Please Good keep stuff. that coming. Also, you may find us on YouTube if you want to see the faces that match these beautiful voices, these sultry voices. Uh, our channel is called Nerd Alchemist. That's plural with an S at the end. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, we have some cool stuff we're working on. We do some trailer reactions, things like that over there, and the pods always. So, thanks. All right, enough business. Uh, this is the final film of The Pod Becomes a Madman, which is crazy because I actually, as soon as we wrapped up today, I was like, one, I think this is the best group of movies we've ever covered, right? Like, this category or theme that we've done has so many amazing movies and i yeah. thought of about 10 others that i was like fuck we're gonna have to be Mad Men again someday yeah but we're actually wrapping up today with one of my all-time favorite movies uh the vanishing right or spurlus i don't know how you say it in the norwegian yeah spurlos spurlos i believe it's from the, i believe it's from the netherlands the netherlands yes spurlus uh yes but this movie is absolutely stunning to me uh, and I love it more and more every time I watch it. Alex, uh, first reactions to The Vanishing. The Vanishing is a really, really very good uh, thriller for being from the Netherlands. Honestly, no, I'm, I've, <laughs> I've honestly never watched. You're any holding other... the, the Netherlandness against it. I'm not sure I've ever watched another movie from the Netherlands. So there's always that. Um, this is this is where my Americanness came in. Is when they said that the overweight ginger guy was the Frenchman and the really skinny woman, like good looking women magnet with like the beautiful hair was the Norwegian. My brain refused to accept it. I thought that was flipped. I was like, I thought our goateed killer was definitely the Norwegian. Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting movie. I, um, yeah, this is definitely of like all the months we've done. And we've now been doing this show for like two years, I think a couple of, maybe mm -hmm. three of yeah. all the episodes, this is easily the best month we've done as far as like curating, like curating just like movies that are actually like, you know, we like to throw in our faves. Of course, that's what this show's all about. This is the first time our faves have also coincided with being like really excellent movies rather yeah. than just like, oh, like nostalgia factor or anything like that. All these movies are awesome films within their own right. The Vanishing is no different. Um what a fascinating journey into the POV side of all this. It's just very weird yeah. to me. Like, again, I, uh, you asked me, you texted me and you're like, what'd you think? And I'm like, interesting because like, I was still sort of processing <laughs> what it was about, but like, ultimately this movie isn't really about the obsession of a serial killer. It's more about the obsession of the person who was trying to find the guy. It's, it's actually the reversal of, it's like a reverse POV, but the POV is still, of the serial killer is pretty fascinating. Uh, yeah. I liked, this, I liked this, it a lot. Yeah. I, I find this one just so one, this movie I, I find unbelievable. Cause I was like the first 20 minutes or so, right? Let's call that the opening is among the best in movie history. Yeah. And the ending is definitely to me, inarguably one of like the top 20 favorite endings I've ever seen. I believe movie, right? Bravo TV does this yearly, like uh scariest movie moments when uh, Halloween rolls around. I believe the ending of this movie is number 55. Yeah. See to me, uh, this ending might be the number one, like scariest. Yeah. This is like your greatest fear. Be. Correct. Yeah. This, this really hits me on like a very deep level. Right. Yeah, so yeah. that ending is so miserable. Uh, but yeah, I just, 
I'm fascinated by this one to me has such an extra voyeuristic feeling to it, which is weird because we talked a lot about this and Henry, especially right. Henry feels very uncomfortably voyeuristic, right? This one, we spend so much time with our, our madman, right? Our killer in this movie. Yeah. But what makes this killer scary? God damn it. I forgot the character's name. The ginger know. professor, I just, I just, right? I just, oh, professor. Yeah, the ginger professore, right? What makes him so scary is one we just... The, so the movie sets you up, right? That there is just this ominous evil in the world, right? So you already have that. And then when we kind of cut to here is our madman, right? Right. He's so controlled and calm, always. In this movie, there is never one scene with this character where you see the the mask slipping scene, right? That's kind of a favorite in these movies where uh, the character is pushed a little bit and you see their true evil coming out. Of all the characters we've covered, what makes this character so scary is it is so, it is such a transactional path that he takes. It's not a passion play. Like a lot of this, like in Henry, there's a lot of that. And then um, M particularly really like shows the, shows like the mask slipped. This one is it is weird. I think the, the fascinating thing to me is this doesn't feel like there's ever a mask. Like he's just this guy. Like the scene, like to basically like the way the movie starts is you get Raymond. The first, Raymond Labour. Yeah, Raymond Raymond is the uh, name of the serial killer. But so Raymond's like family and home life is revealed really quickly, and but the first thing we see of him is literally like slipping on that fake sling and fake cast, and you're like, the fuck's this guy's problem? I mean, obviously, like, if you know what the movie's about, you have some sort of preconceived notion of what he's about to do. But then you flip to just his, like, personal life, and he's, like, the most boring, normal, goofy dad ever, like, for about 20 minutes. It's a a fascinating thing. So, like, my question to you then would be, is there even a mask? Like, is he just this way, and that's part of his thing? He just has a secret rather than a mask itself. Yeah, I mean, that's the good question, right? Is I, I don't think there's the I am an everyman. I, I guess what I would say is I think that the mask is more just who he is, right? I sure. don't think there's the dark because he even talks about, you know, I think he says you can find me in the manual, right? That I'm a, a psychopath. And you're like, OK, so he knows what he is. But to me, everything he does is so ritualized like this, right? He has that yeah. great moment where because where I would say there is a bit of a mask, right? Is that like one of the funny themes of the killer's personal life is that everyone just assumes he's having like the midlife crisis affair. Yeah, everyone just assumes he has <laughs> so a mistress. They're just like, yeah, they're just mad. They're like, oh, are you trying to fuck? And he's like, trust me, I'm the last Frenchman who's known the love of one woman. And like That's... that gives him some kind of like moral superiority in a weird way, despite knowing what he's doing. This is the that other question the that car... we have to ask ourselves as the audience, too, is. They're telling us this is the first time he's done anything like this. And we have to take him at his word on that, right? That there was no, because he says there was like this 20-year gap before he decided he needed to act on his urge again, right? Right, right. And I've always had a question in this movie of how true that is. But. I mean, I think think the one thing we've. Right. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So what I was saying is. The thing I find so fascinating about this character, right, is that his kind of obsessive, you know, workmanlike process becomes his mask and his shield, even okay. though he's not really hiding himself super. Like, it's not in M and Peeping Tom and even Psycho, right? These guys are putting on a big front, right? They're trying right. to be these very meek, very unforgettable guys, right? This guy is a professor. He's out in the community. He's got his family. Like, seemingly can hold this very normal life. He's interacting with a lot of people that we see. Uh, seems to be very well received. This is the other thing, too. He's very put together. And it's. I think that is what's scary, right? Is like, there's the scene right. when he's trying to... Because we see him for a long time trying to capture a victim. And there's the scene when he's right. talking to that lady. And he's like, hey, do you know where the drugstore is? You want to get in my car? And she's like, yeah, our kids go to school together. Uh, you know, if you're going to be a creep, try the gas stations. And you're like, this lady just, it's impossible for her. This is where it's scary on a level is it's impossible for them to fathom 
that this guy's doing something other than like a normal dirty deed, right? Like having right. an affair. The right. thought that this guy is this nefarious, you know, hunter of women doesn't even register, right? They think right. they're telling him where to go hunt for women because they think it's just fucking and not murdering. And that right. is what is scary about him is in most of these killers, right? In these really good madman movies is that other than Peter Laurie and M, most of them do a pretty good job of people always suspect that even when they suspect them, they don't expect how bad it is. Right. Well, I think that's like the 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 casualness of it all is really fascinating to me, especially at the beginning. Like the scene in the car with the daughter where she's literally like, you know, it's okay if you're having an affair. I mean, it is what it is. Like that's part of life. I'm like, Dude, what the she literally says, on? at your age, you're allowed yeah, to. And you're I allowed at my to. Wife, like, I'm like, what age is that? And she was like, fucking never. I'll yeah. murder you. I was going to say, yeah. And I, I was like, y'all, you're so American. Gross. I don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what, age, what I, was saying I don't know what age that guy is, but it definitely that age doesn't exist in America. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like that was like that was one of those really. Re- and it's interesting because it it's um, it comes after the scene where he's like practicing how to proposition women, <laughs> which is like but one of my is, that's one of my favorite yeah, favorite bits in the movie. That's is he's the like scariest practicing. thing. No, but it's he's so practicing normal. all the time, right? So he practices how he's gonna. Walk around the car, proper chloroforming. He's writing notes. And this is the thing the movie does that is really scary to me. And this is where I guess you would say there's the mask, right? As we see him getting in the car, practicing. The next time we see him, he's picking up a child as a respected dad whose daughter truly loves him. And in a moment of trying to, like, interact with her, he's practicing kidnapping a woman. And so he's practicing that on his own daughter. So that's that small little beat, right? Plays as, oh, that's just normal. Like me and my kids wrestle around. This guy is doing that, but on a subconscious level, he's still working on his process. And that shows you that he's not one of us, right? That he is this scarier than normal person monster. Like there's the great scene. They have that weird family scene where the girl screams when she sees spiders. And he's like, everyone scream. Let's have a family scream. Right, yeah. Like, he's this funny dad, only so he can then go ask his neighbors, hey, if someone screamed on my property, would you hear that? And it's like, you fucking sick motherfucker. All of his devious breakthroughs in his plan to capture and murder a woman happen when he is enjoying a family moment. Every single one of them. When he decides on the cast, when he decides on uh, the house, when he decides on gas station. Like, they all happen... You know, the gas station, it's a a lady who knows them, right? But he has these breakthroughs as he's sitting there being a family man and not pretending to be a family man. That's the other important difference is like when Henry's being chivalrous in that movie, it feels like he's attempting to pretend to be a human. This guy feels Raymond feels like a fully functioning, productive member of society whose hobby just happens to be planning a murder. Well, I think that's what sets Raymond apart from the other three movies we watch, like between Peeping Tom, M, and Henry. All of them are some, all of them are, none of them are like particularly like well functioning members of society. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember the car- the main guy's name in Peeping Tom, but it's not Tom. I'll say that. Uh, Mark. But, Mark, I think his name is. What is it? Mark? It's Mark, right? Mark, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Mark is a camera assistant, and he takes, like, nudie photos on the side. But, like, he is clearly, like, strung up. He's a little high-strung. He's got something going on in the back of his brain. Uh, (laughs) Peter Lorre's character is, like, clearly fucked up. But we don't really see him in any other facet of society short of being caught. Henry Mm -hmm. is on the outskirts. He never functions in society regardless, even when he's being, like, chivalrous, so to speak. This is the first movie, and really the only one of the bunch we have, that is somebody who literally is just blending in. Like we don't have really anything else that's like that. Like particular, this is, and I really do think this is kind of, cause I think about like other serial killer movies, like and other serial killer stories from that general area of the world. And like the first thing that comes to mind is like girl with the dragon tattoo. That family obviously is super weird, but at the same time, like all of them are contributing functioning members of society. Like this is a very, um, poignant thing that's like kind of like culturally relevant is 
everybody is suspicious. Like that, I think is probably the most interesting part about this movie is that everyone's suspicious. Like it doesn't matter. And that's the point I think that Raymond makes as a character is that it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, where you're at in society. You very well could be a horrible murderer, but you know, I'd never know because you were my neighbor and you're just asking me weird, funny questions. Like, if I screamed over there, would you be able to hear me? It'd be weird, right? Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a really fascinating that's a really fascinating aspect of watching this movie and not being from the country of origin, which has happened a few times in other, like, movies. But, like, M is very relatable uh, as a movie because we've, always, we've all felt that sort of, like, closing in and so on and so forth, that gang mentality. It reminded me a lot of, like, the monsters are due on Maple Street from the Twilight Zone. This is completely different, I think, though, I would say. I think that's where this movie is so different, right? Is that it manages to be thrilling without the traditional kind of madman scenes, the scary scenes, right? Right. What this movie does to be scary is it just puts us in an everyday life and says, hey, these people are just here, right? Like, this guy lives literally above a crowded, you know, town square that draws tourists and... You know, so he's just sitting there at this busy cafe amongst tons of people. Um, we see a lot of scenes where he's just in the world. They say that gas station has 10,000 people pass through a day. Right. And this movie's telling us one of them there is to hunt. And that's a really scary because it only takes the one. Right. So I think that the the stillness in real life of this movie is where the tear builds. Right. Because a lot of the other scenes, it's. Wouldn't it be scary if your kids get caught? Yeah, fuck yeah. Isn't it yeah. scary what Henry did to these bodies? Yes, absolutely. I think the scene when the guy first realizes, right, that Sasuke is not coming back, right, when Rex realizes, it hit me today. This was his – I was really scared in that moment, right? And I knew what was happening, but there is a – there is a, a bit of just – how fast you can just be living your life and then every fucking thing changes that hit me on this viewing yeah um i think that that opening is masterfully laid out right because it sets a couple standards which is here's a couple on a nice jaunt blah 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 uh you know she talks about a nightmare she had about being alone and you know kind of foreshadowing some ominous you know philo philosophical sim symbolisms or whatever but they run out of gas because of his ego <laughs> Right. And he fucking leaves her, right? And the scene that haunted me today was when she's, don't leave me, Rex, Rex. And he just walks the fuck away. Right. And they actually give us a mini vanishing. When he gets back to that car, he doesn't seem concerned at all that she's not in the tunnel anymore. Right. He just assumes, well, she was being a bitch. She probably left. He's not concerned. And when he picks her up, they just get in. And, you know, eventually he's kind of like, yeah, that was my fault, blah, blah, blah. But he didn't seem concerned when he originally got to the car in the dark tunnel and she wasn't there. Right. And this is what struck me today. Right. They set this all up. If she had not forgiven him. She would be alive. That wow, fucking hit me like a ton of bricks today. Right. Because they do that thing where he's like, when you weren't when you were calling my name, I felt right like this perverse version of Rex. Like when you called my name in agony. And you were torturing me. I was torturing you. I felt truly loved by you, right? And she goes, in that moment, I hated you. And I felt like that was her true reaction. But then she just laughs and, you know, smile. we're going to have a great holiday. She immediately lets it go. Right. And it hit me today because my wife is very much like one of those, right? Like, I am the dramatic troublemaker of my marriage, right? We're like little things. I'm like, this is the hill I'm willing to die on, right? Like, I will fight this to the death kind of guy, right? I'm like a real dramatic type. And she's just not. And when she knows that I'm in the mood where it's like, we'll just fight and fight. And like, it's just a thing to do. She just looks for the out and is just like, I'm not partaking your childish game. Like, let's just move on with life. And that is extra horrible because then we see this very light, lovable person. Right. Who let him off the hook when a lot of right. us know in our own relationships, we would fight that decency in her. Undoes her because he yeah. even says, right, if you want to go back to Amsterdam. Like, we'll go. And she right. doesn't want to go. She hopes for the best. Right. And then she's fucking gone off the face of the earth. Well, I mean, that's like the that's like the pen. It's interesting because I saw that. And then like you see that you get through that whole scene. And then 
um, once you catch up with Rex three years later, because Rex is in a new life, you know, but he's still obsessed with this. Like that, I think, is the thing that stuck with me the most because I was thinking about it. And when we get to that stuff, we start seeing like Rex's life in three years, three years later is he's still obsessed with Sasuke's disappearance. Like He's putting up posters yeah. and all this kind of shit. And he's still dating someone else like that. I think is probably the yeah. weirdest thing. And again, I'm not really sure, but like one, this woman is willing to stick around for it. I'm like, Rex must have just like the greatest penis of all time. There's no question about it. <laughs> Rex is slinging. But like it, cause, cause honestly, like emotionally, like that to me is like the most, um, that's to me is like crazy emotional abuse is to have to like follow around your lover. Who's obsessed with yeah. finding their ex lover like yeah and then you think about I mean, back he's to not the, someone you want to be with per se but right you can imagine there's a romanticism to look at how much he loved her and how much he's fighting i mean i guess right but like, and you, i do and then you, it, they make it say this is the kind of weird part they do in this segment of the movie with saska is the fact that he doesn't know right like there's this kind of theme where it's he seems to think maybe she could be out there somewhere because as the audience, we know for sure she's gone, right? Like, we right. just assume she was taken by a madman. Like, of course she's gone. It's the vanishing. Right. Right? Not the reappearance. We know she's gone. It's one of those moments in a movie where a filmmaker and a screenwriter have to say, the audience knows how this ends for her. Right. There's no version of that movie, right? Like, we're not getting the Gone Girl version of that movie. Like, Ooh. it's done. We know it's done. And so how do they make that dramatic is that we watch this man in his own head play devil's advocate right? with what if she did just fucking run on me because we watched him be a bad partner. Right. Which again, and like carry that abuse. Well, that's what I think. That's what I'm thinking of when, when I see him like walking around, like there's that scene where he, I thought it struck me. Like he gets out of the car and checks his, his signs and he walks by. He's like, good glue, you know? I'm like, that's a weird thing yeah. to say, but like, that's gotta be just a whole mess of guilt complex. Yeah. Flooding. Every well, because you see, orifice that you have. Yeah. You're all you're well, thinking he's about still obsessed and he's a, she's about to get plastered over by like the circus poster. Right. And all you're like, thinking she's about gone your to the world, life, except for to him, uh, yeah. like for three years, like it's consumed you this, like it's not even lost. It's like, what? It's not even the like, Oh my God, they're gone. It's, you're like, and I think that's the thing that strikes me about Rex the most is his motivation is not so pure that it's like, oh God, like where is she? His motivation is why, why is she gone? Like that, I think is the crazier thing that I think about a lot right. when it comes to the movie, and that's what's fascinating <laughs> to me about the Raymond of it all when it comes back later when he starts intercepting into the stories. You're like, would you even want to know? Like the why is crazy. Like why do you want to know the why? I wouldn't want to know. I would just want to grieve I and that'd be it. There's, and I do wonder if this is what they set up in the gas scene, right? Where she's like, stop at the gas station. He's like, oh, you dumb girlfriend. If you were sitting here, you'd know we have, and then he runs out of gas and it's like, yeah, you fucking moron. Right. Right. If he had stopped and listened to her, she's alive. Right. So there's like all of these little chance and, and this is, we'll get to it later. This movie has big questions about destiny in it. Right. Right. Which I kind of like to it. I mean, that's like the nice European thing is that they'll stop a thriller to, you know, let us philosophize, right? And ponder things, which I adore in movies. But this is, I do wonder with Rex, right? Because there is that, that moment of you watch him. They're just kind of having this nice moment, right? In the park. Yeah. And again, he's taking a picture and, you know, he's like, oh, we're back on track. In that couple minutes when he realizes Something has gone horribly wrong. I think this is where we're setting up the Rex for the rest of the movie, which is, is he this, you know, guy who desperately was in love with a woman and wants her to be safe and okay, right? Right. Or is he this Don Quixote chasing down, you know, the windmills over and over and over again because of the unfairness of it to him? That's the part that I don't think we ever settle on with Rex is because at the end, he even says, like, I drank when he drinks the drink. Right. So the the final drink so that he can know what happens. He's like, I'm drinking right. this for her. It's like, no, you're not. That's not like, true. At you, all. you know, at that point, 
you're not yeah. drinking it for her. He's definitely drinking it for himself. I mean, that I think But that, is that becomes the running question of the movie is when she real... vanishes. Right. When she right. vanishes, Rex also somewhat has to vanish, right? Yeah. I mean, I think and that so, is the. And that's a, like his partner even says, like, I don't want to be in a menage a trois. His yeah, apartment exactly. is plastered with her pictures and articles and letters. Like, right. how can that, how can which, you move on in life if that's right. the place? Which, again, living? I was sitting there going, that might be the first French, that might be the first uh, French person to ever say that. But nevertheless, because <laughs> I know the French love their sex, said this American. No, I don't know. Um, that was, but again, you think he's the Frenchman. He's the Norwegian. The Norwegian, yeah. <laughs> well, that's because yeah, she mentions the a menage. That's right. Manage yeah. toi. I mean, I just but yeah, think I mean that... that's it's that's the the struggle I have with the rest of the movie is that I think I think Rex in his heart is using her, right? And in, in a weird way his path so mirrors Raymond's, right? Which is cuz Raymond has that awesome moment when his wife thinks he's having an affair and he's like, "No, I don't. I'm not having an affair. This is like my work I'm doing, right?" I think is right. what he calls it. Right. And he's like, it just starts with an idea. And you're obsessed with the thought of, can I do this idea? And you take a step. And you realize you're a little closer. And you take another step, right? To paraphrase what he's saying. But it's just this, you know, you constantly can take a step towards something that is big. And you can accomplish things, right? right. Well, in a way, that's what he's doing, too. Right? Which is, this sure. can become the thing for him, right? This is his, what if he can undo this tragedy that unjustly right. struck him well and i feel like and to a certain extent too it's interesting because throughout the movie i got the sense that i wasn't supposed to actually like rex a whole lot to be honest with you like this is not the protagonist <laughs> I, it's a really interesting this is what the interest is like i'm supposed to be intrigued by raymond and i'm kind of if i'm being honest like sitting there a little disgusted with rex like he he has moved on already. Like that's, I think the crazy thing is like, he has moved on emotionally by loving another person. So to continue this quest is like you were saying, like there's two sides of this. And to me, this is like the, this is like the Don Quixote problem is like, he's just doing this because he doesn't want to have to give up the ghost. Like that's really kind of like the thing is like, it's almost his personality and things, the way he feels like this is how he's built his psyche is that, I yeah. have to be this person who obsesses and takes this and finds the answer. So like he's willing to sacrifice all sense of humanity and all sense of decency for the why that to me makes me not like him as a character. And actually not saying I'm sympathizing yeah. with Raymond at all, but I don't sympathize as much with Rex throughout the rest of the movie. Well, this, and this is why I don't think of Rex as like a main character or a leading man, like other movies I watch. He, he becomes a, a philosophical totem for me, right? Sure. Which is Rex is the he is the the righteous anger that we would all have. The why the fuck does this happen to me, right? Right. That cuz there is this rant while Raymond is wildly organized and orchestrating every move, this whole movie is still this random encounter. And I think what it's saying to us is that there is just evil in the world and sometimes it's your turn and we as a species have never been able to understand that. Right. Right. It's the, you know, why do kids get sick? You know, why are there wars where people die for, you know, just like these stupid, whatever you're like, we can't comprehend these like big evil things. Right. But when it's even smaller personal, like you just stop to get gas on a holiday and your right. life is over. So I don't, well, I don't think Rex, cause that's the thing. Rex dies in that when he goes to sleep by himself in that car, that feels like the end because the rest of the movie is him chasing this ghost. Right. And we don't – it feels like he's just screaming out for – like, this is the thing. He – his girlfriend, right? The girl's like, I don't want to be in a menage a trois, right? Really good-looking lady. She's got power suits. Who knows what her deal is, but seems like a competent person you'd want to be in a relationship with, right? Totally. He's taking her – not only does he stop to look at the poster, he's like, hey, come to the cafe where I might meet the, the girlfriend kidnapping murderer. It's like, bitch, you're intentionally putting her in harm's way. What if she's like, I have to go pee. I have to go to the loo at the cafe. And he's like, fuck, vanished again. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like what if he just gets revanished? Right. Like, he, did he get revanished? And then you think, oh, he maybe. doesn't. But he doesn't think like that. He's like, oh, 
and this was the scene that really got me this time, right? Because after that, he chases her down. He kind of real. He's like, you know, oh, I would rather be at that gas station. Right. Three. And you're like, well, yeah, you should. I mean, there are red flags galore. She should not be with him, right? Right. His trauma is not healed, and she can't heal that for him. But when they're going to that house, right, and he's running up the hill, they do this great shot with the ping pong table in the foreground. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me, and I never put this together, I guess, before, but it reminded me exactly of the bag of ping pong balls that fell out of the car in the parking lot. And I was like, bitch, you're taking her on the same vacation you were taking Saska on. So I was like, you're just taking her to see the guy who kidnapped Saska and the vacation with Saska. Like I, he's literally chasing a ghost car on the holiday. He wishes he was on and wakes up screaming her name. It's right. It's, I mean, he's not there. I mean, he, but that's what I mean. It's impossible to see that and be like, Oh, I'm with him. Cause he's emotionally abusing this woman. Right. I mean, I think that's, it's the... not his fault really what happened, but you can tell that he is not being a good guy to her. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he is react. I think the thing is, is he's reacting to a circumstance rather than like taking control of it, which yeah. is fascinating because that's really kind of where the cat and mouse becomes very, very pre- pre- prevalent to me. Like that scene, the first time that they're in the cafe, um, I love the way that shot like that, um, that like yeah. slow pan from behind. And then you see across the way um, the guy the, uh, you see across the way, the guy looking out over the balcony. I was like, is that the guy? Is that Raymond? Yep. Because then but then like it pans yes. even further. And there's a guy sitting uh, next to them. And that's blurred. That's blurred um, in the background. I'm like, that looks like Raymond, too. Are we supposed to just think everyone's Raymond at this point? Like, but this the, is but those are both him. That's what's right. Beautiful. Exactly. Like that's like it's because he's at that place, right? And we see a close up of a like a medium close up, right? Right. Of another man who's staring at him, and he, we see his face intense. That could be him, right? So he, he always is looking for this man. It's all he thinks yeah. about. But I really and like what that I show. love is that when he's in the moment with her, right? So he's in the four facing away from camera. She's on the opposite side of the frame. Raymond is between them blurred in the background. He is the ominous yeah. ghost hanging between their relationship. And right. we see this shot again, because this mirrors really well with another shot to me, which was brilliant, was when he's watching himself on the TV, Yeah, right? Right at the, at the breakup scene when the lady's about to move out. And we see Raymond outside. Like, from the window shot, we see that Raymond is down below, right? He's so right. close, and the guy can't see it. And there's this shot where Rex is in the foreground watching himself on the TV. And when we're, we're straight on with Rex as he turns the TV on, he's, like, close up, in focus, right in the middle of the frame, right? We cut to, as he's watching that interview, his face is in the very front of the frame but completely blurred. And we just watch his new girlfriend watching this man tortured right this you know he's he is pushing the boulder up the hill every day and will never win right and so the moments in this movie when they they take away the detail of the face and either raymond or rex become these again philosophical totems right like this is what we can all relate to uh that that shot in the apartment when she was watching him is just so tragic it's pretty brutal. And just so gut wrenching because and that's the thing she's not watching him like with anger no it's just this sad pit. Of, and that's how I think we watch him because I'm with you. It's like he's being a dick to her and he's kind of was a dick to Saska. So like he's hard to bond to. But there is this part like we're with her just watching this man. And you just you can't help but just be like, man, like it is unfair. It is unfair what he suffered. And I can't imagine having to deal with it and how I would react. But right. Like if my wife just disappeared in the middle of a vacation my life would be over yeah. like until I figured that out. And you can, you can always say like, Oh, you got other people to live for and this and that. But once it's kind of what I always say, right? Like there are just things that would happen that you would immediately, like it would change our society. Right. Like aliens touching down on the planet, like things change tomorrow. Right. You know I what mean, I mean? Like I think you know, me and my neighbors say, stop mowing our lawns. Cause you're like, right. what's the point anymore? I mean, let's say that, <laughs> um, let's say that there's a weird, um, you know, pandemic that occurred. Like it changes life immediately. <laughs> I mean, none of us have ever experienced anything like that, but yeah. it would change everything, you know? No, uh, yeah, but I mean, it has like, 
I have only ventured out of my neighborhood once and it was very, but that's what I mean. Like, and I, I think that's how we look at Rex is not as like, look at this fucking piece of shit, which he kind of has that vibe, right? He's a little, sure. you know, unhinged, but I look at her that way, right? Look at this faded man. Like there's nothing left of him. Right. He himself is a ghost in that shot. It's, it's such a beautiful shot. And I, yeah, I just, I love those two shots matched. Right. And I, I think that I'm glad you brought that up, man. I, I love that shit. But that's I, what that's that's what becomes brilliant about this movie is we have a lot of movie left when they just the serial killer or he's not even a serial killer. Right. But like the killer shows up and he's like, hey, man, it's me. You have to ride in a car with me. Love that. And we just can you just imagine like the decision making to just say, hey, this guy has ruined your life. You have nothing left of yourself. Yeah. Right. You just lost another girl and he sees him and he starts trying to fucking beat his ass. Right. Yeah. And Raymond just sits up and he's like, are you finished? Like, even then he doesn't get unruly. Right. It's really fascinating. It's literally riding in the car with everything you've been searching for. Here it is here. I mean, that that part blew my fucking mind. I mean, that's like probably one of the better. That's one of the better. Like. It's interesting because we know the whole time it's Raymond. And yet still yeah. when he reveals to Rex who he is, I still like was like, oh, my God, like that was still thrilling to me. And that shouldn't like that's the kind of thing that should fade away almost immediately. But I think it's mm-hmm. because what proceeds is so bizarre because he's so calm. He's like, you got to go with me to France if you want to know what actually happened. Like all this shit that to me is like probably the thing that kind of like there should be a little bit of air let out of the balloon of like him revealing like, Oh, okay. Oh my God. Like it's so much more brutal because he's so calm and mellow. He's like, shall we like, it's nuts. Here's the scene that drives home. How terrifying this scenario is, is when he's like, are you hungry? And he just makes him sandwiches. Yeah. I was like, bro, you stole my girlfriend and presumably murdered her, maybe raped her. And I'm going to eat your triangle sandwiches. Like you fucking creep. Yeah. And that's that's but that's that's what makes Raymond so fucking horrifying is because and again, match this with all the shots of like we just saw Raymond have a birthday party like things are just going good for him. He's a jolly old fellow. Right. Getting gifts. Right. Uh, seeing memories of himself that spawn the, the killing deed. Right. And he just he is that guy. He's just this dad taking care of business. But we know what he's done. And that, to me, is what separate. That's the Europeanness of this movie. Yeah. yeah. In that moment, if this was an American movie, it'd be like, I have a gun on you. Don't do anything. No, we're going to yeah. fist fight for like five. You know, it'd be like this hunt me down if you can. <laughs> right. And this is just this guy saying, hey. And that's what I love, too, is that Raymond's Raymond understands the path he's on because it's the same defect in him. And he's I admire his uh, perseverance. Right. right. Well, yeah, and his I mean, persistence. That's- and well, so he literally, too. he's like, I'll, I'll give you all of that. Right. I that's mean, it's crazy. interesting is that maybe he recognizes that he caused the defect or he knew, I mean, it's interesting. Like Raymond, like we never hear about any other things that Raymond has done. So you have to assume this is a unique perspective in that Raymond is dealing with someone that he dealing with, like almost like an unfinished business. Like, like, He's dealing with the ghost of a guy. Like we were saying, like Rex died in that car in the parking lot. He's almost dealing with the ghost of like Christmas past. Like he's dealing with a problem yeah. that he didn't think he had. It's pretty fascinating. Well, it, it, it's it's strange, too, because for how thought out and planned out all of his actions seem, there is no benefit for him talking to this man. No, there there is no possible way at this point he'll get connected or caught. Right. The only way he can do that is if he breaks silence. And he keeps I, – I think Rex refers to it as he's building up his courage, right? And so you can see that there's some part of him that wants to reach out and and meet Rex. It's, it's hard to imagine why, though. And it doesn't feel like I'm tying up loose ends, right? No. It's the one thing we see in the movie where you're like, there is some emotional attachment from Raymond right. to Rex in that moment. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's just seeing it. It's it's like you were saying, it's almost like a, it's almost like a mirror. It's almost like a reflection. In yeah. A way. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's uh, man. That is probably one of like, dude, the they share a laugh together scenes. when they stop to stretch their legs. They share a laugh over Mr. Poof. 
And I was like, oh my. It's God. so weird. It's so it's weird. It's so and again, straight. Because they're just at, the, at that moment, again, and this is what is so beautiful about this movie. In that moment, they're just two guys, right? Just two human guys. And when they share a laugh, you're like, that's what this movie has that I think separates it a lot. Is yeah. that Raymond is not this roiling monster who's barely holding it together. You get the feeling he is literally just a guy who's missing that part of him that says, hey, you know, don't commit this crime, right? Right. But you don't get that like he's some kind of like sexual maniac, you know, my mom abused. Like he says, he's like, I was just on a balcony one day and he was thinking about predestination. He said, most people are on the balcony and they think about jumping, but they don't. I wanted to prove to myself that I could. Right. And that's how that's as simple as it was for him to come to killing is that his daughter thought he was a hero for saving a girl. And he's like, well, the next logical thing would be to test that and see if I could murder. And you're like, that's not logical. Right. But also right. that's not some raving madman with a. It, it It is in a way the same as the other guys, but from such a different robotic perspective. Yeah. And I, mean, I don't know, somehow it makes this movie feel more human to me. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like they are just like you didn't you don't realize it until they're in the room in the room together in the car together, so to speak, uh, more accurately. But uh, they are just like two sides of two sides of a coin. They're the same. It's a uh, it's the same level of obsession. Maybe just one's a little more refined than the other, I guess. Yeah. Right. Well, because one, one is like raging passion, right? So Rex is just passion. He's passionately angry at the world. He's angry at this man. He right. feels cheated and wronged. And this other guy is passionate about this kind of thought experiment in a way, right? So his heinous crime feels very emotionless and detached. You know, and that that's, I think, the weird... that That's the unusual perspective, right? Is normally the killer when people are closing in they're getting sweatier and more dangerous and you don't know what they do. Like we don't ever get that from Raymond. Not once when he attacks right. him, when he throws coffee in his face, he's always just like, Hey man, I'm here to help you. Like calm down. <laughs> right. And that becomes horrifying. Yeah. I you mean, know, I cause you're the... in the car with a man who maybe slaughtered and he even takes umbrage when he's like, did you rape her? And he's like, Oh, come now, sir. And it's like, Really? That like we're doing moral indignation, Mr. Kidnapper murder. (laughs) But that's the line of the movie is, you know, he doesn't feel as insane, which makes him really scary. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think I don't know. I don't know. It's he's a really strange, unique madman in that perspective. Well, I think that's the like that's always been the thing for like characters that seem like characters that seem rational. Like it's like a. It's like the better it's a better written version of Hannibal Lecter almost like Hannibal Lecter is well educated reasonably rational but he's rational within the fact that he is a murderer and a cannibal and all these other things this is a guy who's literally just rational about everything he just happens to be a killer like I think right, that's he, kind of they, the crazier even thing. Hannibal feels like he gets like wild irrational almost sexual right. joy out of his acts absolutely like, when we see this and we see what happened to her so he takes the drink, right? He finds the thing. She was here. This did matter. When he finds the trinkets buried in the tree, I thought that was a nice moment. Yeah. You know, and he's like, that's what draws him to. He kind of runs in a circle, which is what he's been doing for years, and he runs up in the rain and drinks it, and he's like, I drank it for her. No, you didn't. Whatever. Fine. But, and then we see what happened. He just wakes up in a box, oh, God. and Raymond is just casually pouring dirt down on it. We don't see his face. We don't see the smirk that he he often has a smirk when he does something well in his training. Yeah. But we just get this sense of this is just a guy doing a job. Yeah. He's and then just later, doing, you know, we just yeah, see his it, wife watering the corpses. Yeah. And you're like, it just feels like he's going to go on just being an OK dad. It and like, it just an okay feels husband. like a guy who's like, like, just got home back from Home Depot. Like, it's so bizarre. Right. But like, I think he, that's he's so detached and he never does the bad guy speech per se no he does the you can try to take me to court but there's no evidence like it'll be hard to explain why you're in my car and i brought you back here and like you know you can try but he's like i promise you i'll never tell you 
Well, I and, think that's and that's, sort of the, that's what I was gonna ask you is why does he all the way have to know? Because at that point, when he gets back to the gas station where it all started, right? Right. And the gas station looked closed at that point, which I thought was a cool choice. You know, almost like even that gas station died that day, right? right. Like this is now a haunted place, right? This right, is just right. a ghost house now. Yeah. Why take the drink? Why take the drink? He's met the guy. He can be reasonably sure. The guy was talking about planning on kidnapping and blah, blah, blah. So reasonably sure he hasn't been keeping her for three years or she escaped or whatnot. Why drink that drink? Well, I mean, to me, that's that's it. Like, he has nothing else to learn about. He has nothing else to learn. Like, like you said, right. he died already. Like, this is literally a ghost yeah. who's been walking around for three years. He has nothing else to learn. He has nothing else to gain. So why not gain the ultimate knowledge and perhaps – in that way, like it almost goes back to that dream that they both are having about the golden egg is he's talking about how they might be together. So maybe he's thinking if he does that on a, like a metaphysical level, he can be with her again. Obviously yeah. he wakes up in t- a terrible situation, but nevertheless, like he's probably going- instantly regretted it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But no, course. I mean, cause he says he tries to turn Raymond's logic around on him. He's like, aha, see, it was predestined that I shouldn't do it, so I did it. And I'm like, ooh, you played yourself, as DJ Khaled would say, my friend DJ Khaled. But it's just, I, I thought it was fascinating because it just, again, it does feel like, and that's what they both have in common, is when you put yourself so dedicated and obsessively to one thing. Right. The thought of then stopping feels impossible. And that's what tells us at the end of the movie. You're like, it doesn't, there's no way Raymond can stop after this. No. Right? Like, Raymond's this not wasn't going to just stop a one-off test he had to complete. He has to – he'll have to do this again now. Right. Right? Because at the end when he's watching his wife water the grave and he's kind of like all, you know, leaned over in this weird position, that's the closest thing I feel like we see to a mask-slipping scene, which is where there is this forlorn look like, oh, it's over. The fun is yeah. over. Well, I think He has that's no one exactly to play with anymore. So he will have to go out and hunt again. Right. But I think that's that's totally what it is, though. He's sad it's over. Like, it's yeah. it's, it's it's the adrenaline well, rush. It's you, like, you mentioned the golden egg, too. So let's let's get to this, the dream of the golden egg. Because mm. I thought this was really interesting. I was, I was trying to hone in on that, this viewing, right? Is that Saska says she has a dream about the golden egg where she wakes up alone. Uh, and she talks about the loneliness is unbearable in there, right? And she has it the day before she goes missing. Later, he has the dream, uh, you know, when he gets to the house where they were supposed to be. uh, What's his name has the dream, right? Rex. Rex. We don't know that he does or not, but he's obsessed with that imagery, too. What I found really interesting this time is this movie felt like it was saying that fate pushed these people together. And that there was no possible way to avoid this collision, which I thought was because the, the movie plays both angles, right? Which is one, it is the random horror of this tragedy, right? Right. That's the first part of the movie we see is just we just pulled into a gas station and she's fucking gone for no reason. What we find later is it feels like there's a lot of reasons, right? Like she had uh, evaded him once and went back out, came back in. He had already thrown his cast away. He had thrown his sling away. Earlier that day, he already had a lady in the car, right? And he chloroformed himself on accident. <laughs> and so she got away and give, there should have been another girl. But fate pulled her out of the fucking car. And what happens at the end of the movie that's so strange is we watch Raymond practice and practice and practice. He is this refined, focused, process killer. Right. And when it actually happens, nothing he planned for happens. <laughs> well, he doesn't have the sling. He doesn't have the hitch. He doesn't have the anything, right? He's right. not doing the, oh, can you help me with my hitch? It's just because he had a keychain that his daughter bought him that this girl liked. Right. I mean, it's that's all random. Right. I mean, I think that's the best part is like best laid plans go to waste. Like that's. A hundred percent. That's got to be the most interesting thing is we've seen so many movies about methodical serial killers who have really specific ways in which they go about their business. Like we never they seen a movie capture, where yeah. 
we've never seen like of the of the four movies we've chosen this is the only one where any of them have to actually imp- improvise a kill like Henry, I don't yeah. count because Henry honestly just has a bunch of different methodologies, anyways. But like, think about but Martin he's hunting Keeping. that in and in and of itself, right? Yeah, right. To get your European philosopher, right? Existentialists would say is that we don't have any freedom, right? Even not choosing right. is choosing, right? Right. There you go. Now we've smarted it up a little bit. That's right. That's that's this kind of show. So, anyways, back to that ass. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But, I mean, you know, you think about, like, Mark from Peeping Tom and uh, Peter Laurie and M. They both have very specific methodologies. But that's what, like, trips them up in the end. Like, I guess not Mark technically, but, like, you know, Peter Laurie gets tripped up because he always sings the – he always uh, whistles the in the Hall of the Mountain King thing. He has very specific methodology, very specific things he does. What's interesting about The Vanishing is that Raymond's methodology is all this planning. And then he ends up just sort of like winging it almost. It's kind of, it's, it's a strange thing. And again, right. I feel and like- I wonder, cause this is the crazy thing he is. Cause they have that moment of desperation with Rex where he circles the Polaroid and he's like that red dot there. That's gotta be her. Right. That was fucking her. It was we her see at the end that we can see him taking the photo in the background. That was her totally. Right. And so, the way that she gets – she fights him a little bit in the car. She falls between the seats so we don't see her when the car pulls past him, right? It just – it all – I wonder if that is the reason why he kept writing to Rex and eventually decides to meet him is because I think he would be confronted with, look at all the work I did and got nowhere. Right. And then fate just put this woman in my car. Interesting. Right. Because my daughter point. bought me and his daughter bought him two gifts. Right. Right. His daughter bought him the keychain. It's a joke. And then there's like, oh, here's this other thing. Right. Like a joke like, ah, oh, here's your I'm having an affair keychain. Because <laughs> of the miles. Wink, wink. And that's what gets her. And that's the other thing. That's where you might have a mask moment, too, because that's the really sad scene. As when he's like, get in the car. She's like, I don't think so. But. She sees that fucking picture with him and his family on the very, and that picture shows us the very day that he first decided he was going to kill someone. So it has this yeah. very, the the universe has aligned perfectly for this happen. So it's weird. The first half of the movie is so playing up the chaotic, unpredictable nature of evil. But then this, the ending is telling us specifically, look at all of these things. That happened this exact way. There's nowhere else they could go. And even that Sasuke had that dream, somehow she had seen behind the curtain and the universe was telling her. Right. I mean, I think the movie at large is about the randomness of the universe, or is it? Like, that to me is, like, the bigger question to ask when you're watching this movie is, is this movie about the random nature of life and death, or is it about that... Things are set. Things are laid out before us. There's no way we're going to avoid them. We just have to, what, deal with them? It's a very weird concept, but, like, I feel like that's a lot of the time what the movie's addressing. Yeah, and that's the twofold, right? Because if you think that there is a fate that does this, Mark's righteous anger is not directed at, why did this happen to me in the grand sense of, like, of all the people, but, like, why was I chosen? Right. You know, when uh, he jumps off the balcony at 16, he's like, I just wanted to prove that I could do what I wasn't supposed to do. Right. You're like, you were supposed to do that so that later you would see the photograph of you in your sling. And that's how you would know to lure the women. And that would go wrong and lead you. You know what? And that's that becomes this. If everything is predestined. Right. Is it scary or less scary? And the movie doesn't answer. The movie refuses to answer that question. And I think that's what's fun about this film and why I'm glad it was an American movie for the most part, because I don't think we spend a lot of time or I don't think our movies spend enough time leaving things for us to think about after. Right. And I think especially nowadays, right. We're so box office driven and opening week driven. People are more afraid to make mistakes and leave movies ambiguous. But this movie, I mean, you could believe this is some cruel Clash of the Titans chessboard style game that put that poor girl in that guy's car and both of them in the coffins. Totally. Or 
right? That something pre-picked this guy to be broken and psychopathic or whatever, or that he is just a random anomaly of our species, a virus in our society that claimed these two people. And you don't, it, it won't fucking tell us that. And that's nope. what makes it fun is because in the back of your mind, you will be processing this movie for a long time. Agreed. I don't know. But then yet yeah, that, oh God, that's so brilliant too at the end when he who doesn't smoke still has her lighter and he lights her lighter and sees the golden egg as he's alone and he fucking laughs in the face of his own death. Oh, fuck, man. Great but ending. that's the other thing. The movie leaves you too with that this is an ongoing saga because now that that guy disappeared, everyone's going to be like, this is fucking strange. And then they're both like newspaper eggs together. <laughs> in the darkness i was like that was probably a step further than i needed like that's fine but that's i don't know it it was fascinating to me right like was it fate that he was drawn to rex and then rex will draw the next person to him to stop him fascinating but i i I don't know man i think this movie the opening of this movie what what i'm always stunned by is how much tension they get in that gas station scene and I think I wanted to know your thoughts real fast to wrap up. Do you think that is just an example of, do you think this is how the movie's built intentionally? Because they, they know what we know, right? That we know this movie's called the vanishing and it has to start with someone vanishing. So is that a way to weaponize our preconceived notions against us? Mm, no. I mean, I think that it's, well, yeah, I guess in a way, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's necessarily about um, throwing us off the scent like that. I think is probably that's true. I don't think I'd put that's it true. that way. I think, think what I'd say is um, what um, the director's doing is mitigating your expectations so that like you kind of in the middle of this, forget that it's called the vanishing. And you're like, what is this? Just like two people that are going on vacation. Well, this is a, Oh my God, she's gone. Where the yeah. fuck did she go? Like, I think that's like the idea. It's not necessarily a misdirect. It's more just a, you guys know it's called the vanishing, right? Like, that's like sort of what it is. Like, it's like 20 minutes in and it happens. And the director like literally could just like broken through. She's like, it's called the vanishing guys. What'd you think it was going to be a vacation movie? No, I'm not making this like, right. (laughs) But that it's, it's just, I I'm always stunned by how much more it means to me now. Right. Like, it's one of those movies that's hard to remember the first time you saw it and how you reacted in the moment. But now, right. knowing what's coming, everything takes on such a greater meaning, right? The burying of the coins, uh, the Frisbee being the exact same cost as the the keychain he wants to sell. Like, there are all these right. little moments now. And that, that comes later in the movie. That's not the same, right? But her going in for a drink and then reemerging, right? Him running around... Uh, asking people losing his mind and people just be like it's fine it's fine i i can't believe every time i watch it how much tension that scene elicits all of those scenes that seemingly are just two people doing nothing right yeah like you said it just feels kind of like oh here's just like a love story people are like you know making out and they're about to go on vacation oh god and what hit me like a fucking kick right to the dick today was when she just like looks back at him and like, you know, does the wave and the, you know, like this loving thing. She's just going to go buy drinks. And today was the time when I just went, fuck, that's the last time he ever sees her. And it's crazy. And I, you think, start thinking about that. And like, how many times in our lives do you, I'll get the gas. You go in and get snacks. That could just be it. Right. Or like, Hey, we're at the store. I'll drop you off at this store. I'm going to that store. And that's it. Right. That's what's scary about this movie. And it's not about the finality or the horror of the act. It just becomes no. the idea of it can all just change. It's just that about the fast. it's about the momentary change. That is the scariest part of the entire thing is yeah. that. Well, just that, imagine everything in your life shifting a complete 180 in one second. And right. you don't I even mean, realize it. It's happening. not even that one thing changes that your earth literally shatters and everything redirects itself yeah yeah and that that is oh man the tension of that opening scene mixed with you know the benign family man who's planning a horrendous act and the broken kind of madman hunting him down feverishly 
And they kind of circle cat and mouse. And then just watching those two sit in a car together is so thrilling to me. I, I mean, it's the, it's the movie that feels like by steps it should not work. Right? Like on yeah. paper, when I kind of say that out loud, you're like, how does that work? How is that thrilling? And to me, I am just glued to the fucking screen the entire time. I, I, I think it's an unbelievable movie. It's great. I hope you guys enjoyed The Vanishing Art, Spurlos, as much as we did. Uh, guys, don't get vanished. Stick around. We have more good pods coming for you, so don't get vanished. Stay with us. Stay away from the egg, guys. Uh, so that's it for The Pod Becomes a Madman. Uh, the second half of this month, since we're all locked up, we're giving you a little more movies. The Pod is held captive, and we're starting with perhaps the greatest captivity horror movie of all time, Misery. So that'll be out Thursday, guys. Uh, we're lining up some really good guests for double features. I'm excited to announce those soon. Uh, so yeah, follow us on social media. Tell us the movies you want to hear. Please leave us ratings and review. And subscribe to our YouTube channel, Nerd Alchemist, uh, for plenty of uh, extra fun stuff coming your way. Thank you guys for being Mad Men with us. Uh, it was a treat. For the Film Alchemist, I'm great. Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino.